good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We've been reading in 2 Timothy. We are ready to read chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Now in the first chapter at the end, Paul was, of course, reminding Timothy of uh, this uh, Onesiphorus person that had that had shown kindness to him and been very helpful to them at Ephesus. So Paul is Paul is recounting some things and he is encouraging Timothy, but he is noting also some people who have maybe uh, deserted or fallen away due to just his upcoming execution. So, all right. So this is Second Timothy chapter two. I am reading from the Amplified Bible. And he's going to be encouraging Timothy somewhat here. So you, my son, be strong, constantly strengthened, and empowered in the grace that is to be found only in Christ Jesus. The doctrines, no, the things, the doctrine, the precepts, the admonitions, the sum of my ministry, which you have heard me teach in the presence of many witnesses, entrust as a treasure to reliable and faithful men who will also be capable and qualified to teach others. Take with me your share of hardship, passing through the difficulties which you are called to endure, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service gets entangled in the ordinary business affairs of civilian life. He avoids them so that he may please the one who enlisted him to serve. And if anyone completes as a, competes, I'm sorry, <clears throat> And if anyone competes as an athlete in competitive games, he is not crowned with the wreath of victory unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer who labors to produce crops ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Think over the things I am saying. Grasp their application, for the Lord will grant you insight and understanding in everything. So, He's encouraging Timothy to stay in the ministry and to stay true to that and to not get entangled. Now, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take my own take on this, okay? But uh, uh, it sounds like he doesn't want him to get tangled in everyday life of like being a normal citizen or being a normal family man or or anything like that. Now, I don't know enough about Timothy to know. If he had any family of his own, we know that he had uh, mother and grandmother and father and all that. But I don't see or hear any mention of him having a wife and children. So I think Paul is encouraging him to continue down this path of staying fully in the ministry and not having a normal life and getting entangled in children and wives and well a wife and children and things like that now so there is that where he talks about a soldier in active service does not get entangled in ordinary daily business so that's that I think he's saying you know don't get yourself entangled in ordinary daily business the affairs of civilian life where you know you're where it limits your capacity to serve the ministry. Then, the second point is slightly different. If anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Well, make sure that you're 
you know, following the rules of your ministry, following the rules of Jesus Christ, you know, make sure that you are doing the proper, the proper things in the proper ways, you know, stay true to the Lord, in other words, as you're doing the ministry, make sure that you're staying true to the Lord and the idea of the ministry to spread the gospel. So, you know, that's competing according to the rules, <clears throat> making sure that you're acting in love and kindness and, you know, and you're spreading the gospel for the, for the right reasons and that you're getting the right results, etc. Then there's a third, <clears throat> a third thing. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. The person who works and produces the uh, the harvest should be the first to share you know to have their share of the crops I think he's saying as Timothy works and and has harvest in the Lord's fields in the Lord's work he should be able to share um, he should be the first to be able to receive a share of compensation or you know, surviving livelihood, you know, some sort of compensation from that. Now, this would also, I think, of this as applying spiritually as well as just worldly and being, uh, you know, food and clothing and stuff and money, but, but also spiritually uh, that you should, you know, as you labor and produce a harvest spiritually, you're going to get a blessing, you're going to get out of that too and even just in the simplest of manners and I'll just say it this way as you you know preach the gospel and and study the gospel and present that to others you're going to be learning and growing yourself as well so you you're going to share in some of that bounty as well anyway but uh, I think there's a number of ways to look at that and 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 apply that but there is the just the normal having his needs met to be able to uh, keep the ministry going and and survive and eat and and drink and and then again like I said keep the ministry going so that he can keep going to the other churches and checking on them I'm assuming that Timothy was continuing in the, in a lot of these things that is an assumption on my part but, but I think that's what Paul is encouraging him to do, is to stay in the ministry and keep doing things the right way. So those three things, and we could possibly look at these further, but at the top, right off the top of my head in just reading these, that's how I see those as being uh, an encouragement, you know, to, to stay true to the ministry, <clears throat> and then to make sure that you're doing things in the proper way, and then being willing to receive, you know, some compensation, some blessing, as you are the one, you know, working and creating the harvest. All right, so let's move on now. Uh, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, the ever-living Lord, who has risen from the dead as, he, as the prophesied king, descended from David, king of Israel, according to my gospel, the good news that I preach. For that gospel I am suffering, even to the point of wearing chains like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained or imprisoned. For this reason I am ready to patiently endure all things for the sake of those who are the elect. The elect are God's chosen ones, or 
um, saints, you know, the Christians, so that they too may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it the reward of eternal glory. This is a faithful and trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we also live with him. We no, I, I, I'm sorry, I left a word out. Let me try that again. <clears throat> if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, true to his word and his righteous character, for he cannot deny himself. So here, you'll notice the difference. If we died with Christ, then we will also live with him. In other words, if we are baptized into Christ, if we go through that spiritual death and, and birth to be like there is, you know, I think I've mentioned before where I, I've said that uh, baptism, baptism, there's a lot to baptism, and I think I've said at times, I want to make sure that I'm clear about this, I think at times I've said that it's uh, it's an act of faith, and that is partly true, it is an act of faith, um, that's a part of it, That's a, but that's more of an outward sign of, you know, you're committing this act of faith before God and, and people. Uh, or even just before God, if you're, if it's a very small party of people, but um, but there's also that spiritual, that whole spiritual connection, where we are dying, trying, we're putting to death our old lives, and we're raising up, being born again into a new life in Christ. It's where we. Now, some people put it this way. They say it's where we, we actually come into, spiritually come into contact with the blood of Christ and, and our sins are washed away. And I think that's a good way of saying that. Um, I don't know of a better way, so I'm not going to, <laughs> I'm not going to try to mess with that. Um, so there's a lot to baptism more than just one thing. There's a lot of spiritual goodness and things to it. Uh, the reason we are told to be baptized so much is so that we, we go through that, uh, not just the physical and the and the faith, uh, the act of faith that it is, but also that we'll go through the spiritual part of it, the spiritual aspect of putting to death our old man and raising up into a new, uh, a new life as a new creature in Christ. It's it's there's a spiritual thing to that that. Uh, you may not, you may or may not even feel it at the time, but if you just think about it and and look on it in that way, I think that will, I think that makes an impact, and I think it helps you, you know, always. And of course, I mean, you have to do it to be truly, to be truly saved, to be eternally saved. I mean, it is part of the package that we we need to do. So I'm not saying it's an option either. But I'm just trying to explain that at times I've said different things. And I may not have completely said everything correctly. I just want to make sure uh, that I say uh, enough correctly about it that you'll know that I don't. I don't think it's just an act of this or just that. There's a whole big package of stuff that goes with being baptized. But Jesus Himself said we had to be born of water and the Spirit. Okay. And that, that settles it for me. The fact that Jesus did it himself to make sure that all righteousness was taken care of in his life and to uh, set that example for us. 
And then he said, you have to be born of the water and of spirit. So he ends it, he, he just, he, you know, both in example and in words, he ends any discussion. Baptism is necessary. It is necessary. It is something we need to do. Um, there was a time when I was younger in my life I really questioned that. But the more that I have read and the more I've understood, it is something that that we must do. It is not an option. So, all right. So anyway, so here he's saying if we've died with him, we will also live with him. Meaning, if we have died with Christ, if we put to death our old man and rose up to live in, in Christ, then we will live with him. We will live with him eternally in heaven. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So if we can endure the temptations and the, the things in this life, if we can endure then we will also reign with him in heaven. Uh, now, I don't know how reign works for me. I don't think of myself as someone who should be ruling. But nonetheless, this is what the word says. So I'm, I'm, I'm rolling with it. I, I take that and I believe it. Okay. So, he says, if we deny him, we will. he will deny us. Now, that's, that's also true. And Jesus said that himself. If we are faithless. Now, notice this. If we are faithless. He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He is true to his word and true to his righteous character. He is true to what he has said. And what has he said? He has said, I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. I am with you. Uh, there are scriptures says the Lord is near. We have to understand that the Lord and God are always there and available for us. They are very extremely faithful. They set the bar on faithfulness. <laughs> they follow through. They are, you just don't get more faithful. They are there for us at all times. And I myself do not appreciate that enough. I'm just going to admit it. I, I just don't think... I don't think I think about that and appreciate that enough. Sometimes I get wrapped up in my own little silly world and I forget to really appreciate the fact that our God and our Lord are so faithful to us. They love us and care about us. They're always there for us. So I think that's a wonderful point to make. So I'm going to move on from there. I've probably, uh, I hope that you know is somehow useful though but I'm going to move on verse 14 remind the people of these facts and solemnly charge them in the presence of God to avoid petty controversy over words which does no good and upsets and undermines and ruins the faith of those who listen so now this is something that we can get caught up into sometimes ourselves and I think when I was younger I think I have done that a few times too where I got caught up in a controversy whether it just be in my mind or maybe in speaking with someone which really at the end of the day that controversy that it, it serves no real purpose except to distract us <clears throat> pardon me to distract us from the real you know the real word of God the real gospel the real meaning of things so it says study and do your best to present yourself to God approved a workman tested by trial who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. 
but avoid all irreverent babble and godless chatter with its profane empty words, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Wow. Okay, so Paul just lays it out here. We should avoid all of that. Now that that doesn't mean you can't have a little fun with your Christian brothers and sisters and just, you know, be a little silly sometimes or enjoy each other's company and be, you know. But he's telling us as far as the Word of God goes, as far as in your ministry goes, avoid all irreverent babble and godless chatter with its profane and empty words, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their teaching will spread like gangrene. So, you know, we should make sure that we're teaching appropriately, properly at all times. And then he gives an example here. He says, so it is with Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now, I may be saying those names wrong, so forgive me if that's the case. Who have deviated from the truth. They claim that the resurrection has already taken place, and they undermine the faith of some. Okay, so see, this is a problem. And Paul is always, you know, he's always combating the false teaching. Well, what resurrection are they talking about has already taken place? I mean, yes, at this point, Jesus has resurrected. And I think, I think if you read the, um, the accounting of Jesus dying on the cross when the, the moon was darkened and, and all these things happened, or, was, or did the moon go red and the sky was darkened, I may not get that exactly correct, forgive me. But nonetheless, I think there were some that rose from the grave. In a, in a small instance there. And when we can go back through the Gospels, I think we could find that. But that's not the same as saying that all the dead has risen and that everyone has been resurrected. So anyway, so it sounds like they're teaching something a little off and it's confusing some people and causing trouble. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God, which he has laid, stands, sure and unshaken despite attacks, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord stand apart from wickedness and withdraw from wrongdoing. So all of us who name the name of the Lord, basically all of us who claim Jesus is our Lord, we should stand apart from wickedness and withdraw from wrongdoing. I, I think I think that's like at a, as a minimum, <laughs> we should at least do that. You know, it's uh, I, of course I know. You know, we know the deceits and temptations of the world can be hard sometimes. Now, in a large house, there are not only vessels and objects of gold and silver, but also vessels and objects of wood and of earthenware, and some are for honorable, noble, good use, and some for dishonorable, ignoble, common use. You might imagine some things are used for gross things and some things are not. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things which are dishonorable, disobedient, sinful, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, set apart for a special purpose, and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now here, if you think about this for a moment, this is, this is kind of a gross analogy to make, but I can see the comparison. If we are wallowing in the filth of the world and taking in the disgusting, sinful, awful things, 
then of course we are not a vessel for honorable use because we are basically dirtying ourselves and feel, making ourselves filthy. Whereas if we cleanse ourselves from those things, we make ourselves a clean vessel for honorable use for good things, then you know we can be sanctified and set apart and useful to God prepared for every good work so that's a very useful analogy I think I've read this before and I didn't I hope that I'm understanding that correctly because I don't think I have understood that exactly correctly before or maybe it's just been so long since I've read it I've forgotten that could be too so anyway I'm going to continue on run away from youthful lusts pursue righteousness faith love and peace with those believers who call on the Lord out of a pure heart this is another good bit of advice run away from youthful lusts well you know we know when we're young how we are and it and you know we want we want to not be that you know we don't want to be we want to avoid those temptations and stay away from those things so this makes perfect sense uh, he's talking to Timothy who's a who's a much younger man but have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant speculations useless disputes over unedifying stupid controversies since you know that they produce strife and give birth to quarrels okay here again this goes back to things that, that I, I think Paul has mentioned and we have mentioned before there are certain things that maybe are not clearly or defined or even spoken of in the Bible that we all tend to theorize and speculate and talk about that's fine as long as we don't get allow that to become a big distraction to us in any way it, it should never be a distraction to us it should just be something uh, we maybe we mention talk about as friends for a few minutes without being angry or getting upset everybody has little you know their, their own ideas and perspective and then we move on you know we move on we say well you know that's interesting but that's not really that doesn't really affect or change the gospel in any way that does not change the fact that God is God Jesus is our Lord and we need to move on <laughs> and actually I've, I've heard someone actually bring up the fact that the um, I can't remember exactly how they said it but basically the, the gist of what they're saying was you know this is interesting stuff but I don't want anybody to get uh, upset or you know to maybe you know come into conflict over the these types of ideas so you know as long as, as long as we all understand that you know it's something that we will you know God will explain to us when we need to know or or maybe we just don't need to know maybe it's not a big deal <clears throat> but um, it's it's not something that affects our salvation in any way so that was the big deal is that it it's not something that affects our salvation so it's not really a big deal so we don't need to have a huge you know argument or anything now mind you in our group at that time there was no arguing we were just discussing it for um, for curiosity purposes but as Paul says here it's when you get into a dispute over those things it's unedifying it doesn't help your faith so if you can have a friendly little discussion and then move on that's fine but don't get all caught up in it because it can produce strife and give birth to quarrels and we don't want that we don't want to be angry 
at our at our Christian family over over something that's not really important because what's important is salvation and the gospel God's word and the truth of that and yes there are some things you know that are not clearly defined and laid out and that's that's okay though you know and I, I'm thinking of like some of this stuff now and it depends on how you want to go and I'm, I'm not trying to uh, stir that up but it's like uh, you know like back in Genesis there are certain things that are not as clearly defined as we might would have liked and so there is some speculation on some things I, I don't really have a problem with that um, I understand that that we're naturally curious and we're going to speculate a little bit if we're not a hundred percent clear but I don't really have a huge problem with that I mean I'm certainly not going to get upset if someone has a slightly different idea as long as we don't um, as long as we don't uh, take the Word of God and say well it's not correct or it's not true or whatever then I'm okay you know, I'm perfectly okay. And if you, and, and if you do believe something there is wrong for some reason, and you have your own idea about it, then I, I'm probably still not going to. I mean, other than to say maybe I just don't agree, I'm probably just going to move on. That's it's probably the best best thing we can do. It it doesn't really affect um, our salvation or our faith in God, and it doesn't help edify us. Edify us. All right, I've continued on about that long enough, but that's that's something because I get. Uh, it's a fault I have that I'm curious about some of those things and sometimes I will speculate but it's not extremely important the servant of the Lord must not participate in quarrels but must be kind to everyone even-tempered preserving peace and he must be skilled in teaching patient and tolerant when wronged now this is just straightforward we must not participate in quarrels if something is becoming a quarrel, we need to withdraw and say, you know, it's all right. It's all right. We don't, we don't, we don't want to have a quarrel. We don't want to have an argument. We don't want to have angry feelings towards each other. Let's just, let's leave this topic alone. Um, let's just go by what the, the word says and just let it, let it go at that for now. We can discuss this later when we're calmer and we're not upset. You know, there's a number of different ways, but we don't want to participate in quarrels and accidentally alienate people or um, anger them in such a way that they would not be as receptive to uh, talking with us. We must be skilled in teaching, patient and tolerant when wronged. So, now, this says the servant of the Lord. So, to me, in a way, that applies to all of us. Because I think all of us are God's servants. He must correct those who are in opposition with courtesy and gentleness in the hope that God may grant that they will repent and be led to the knowledge of the truth, accurately understanding and welcoming it, welcoming it and that they may come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. <clears throat> so, here, when we do correct people or when we teach something that is a correction to maybe something that has been taught incorrectly, um, we should do so with courtesy and gentleness and hope that God will, will grant that person to be receptive 
you know, or per sons, you know, maybe multiple people, and that they, you know, might be able to understand that and not be, you know, it helps to to teach and say these things in the right way. I, I too have been guilty of trying to show someone something that they were resistant to and and maybe I got over <laughs> exuberant or whatever. It was not that I was angry, but I was like uh, surprised that they couldn't clearly see and understand what I thought was clearly there. Because <laughs> it's like here, I'm just reading this and it's clearly here that we should be not participating in quarrels that we should be um, skilled in teaching and we should be patient and tolerant when wronged okay so we should correct people with courtesy and gentleness obviously I did not always maybe do the best at that but that's what we should be doing hey we have to admit our failings so alright so this has been this has been chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. And you'll notice here at the, in, the, in this last that when we're using courtesy and gentleness to correct them and we, it's in the hope that God will grant them the knowledge, you know, help them to see the knowledge and want to repent of, of what they believed incorrectly. I've always appreciated when I've uh, found that I've always appreciated the fact that I was able to learn correctly when I was believing incorrectly. Now, that doesn't mean I was never resistant. I probably was. But um, given a chance to look at it and see it and read it correctly and understand everything in context, I appreciate learning something new or corrective for me in my life so that I am being as correct as I can be. I'm still not perfect, but just the fact that I'm one step closer, I'm a little bit further down the path because I have learned that, oh, I was wrong in that, and I'm now I'm going to be correct in that. I'm going to, going to train myself and teach myself to follow in that. And so that's, you know, it's what we're trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do. I think we all are trying to do that. And he, he says here at the end that they may come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Now, he may be talking about something more serious than I am, but nonetheless, I still think it still applies in much the same way. We want to be corrected when we're believing incorrectly or when we have something wrong. So, that is the end of Second Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 2, not the whole letter. So I want to thank you for listening. The Lord bless you and keep you. And remember, God loves you.